time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 59 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are you brewing and what kind of coffee am I brewing today? I'm brewing some amazing Dartera coffee. What are you brewing? I'm brewing Starry Night, which is from Baltimore Coffee and Tea Company. So... That's the first little hint that something's a little different with today's show. It's a lot different with today's show. Okay, so are you ready to drink some coffee and chat? I am. Let's do it. So why don't we tell everybody kind of what's going on with us? We are in two different places today because we are sick. We have been struck with COVID with both families. This week has been a challenging week for sure. We have kept working the entire week. And we will continue to work, but it's hit us. Good times. We are not going to not give you your episode this week. So we are via Zoom, both of us. So we're looking at each other. We're talking, but we're not sitting at the same table. And next week, we will be back at the same table behind our microphones where it's nice and comfy and very easy to chat. The energy is weird. Because we're looking at each other. We're not sitting across from each other. So the energy feels weird. I don't know if I can express that any better. Yeah. We'll do our best to muddle our way through all of this. We will because we have a really good episode planned for everybody today. So there is no change in the episode. The change is how we're bringing it to you. We have still been in contact probably 12 hours a day every day. That has not (laughs) changed. And we're still working lots and lots. We had a nice holiday. We were careful. We did not get sick after Williamsburg. That's what kills me. We went on through Virginia. We stayed healthy. We were fine. And then Christmas came and yeah. And we were both very careful and did not see hardly anyone, but it can still get you. And that's kind of what happened. So we're just going to deal with what we have. Thank goodness. My husband, Joe, he's finally starting to feel a little bit better, but was very ill. And so the girls and I have just been wiped out and exhausted. And Holly Ann, she has been sick also. We've all been feeling it. Pete's a rock, man. Uh, He's been amazing too, carrying chickens back and forth. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in the episode, but We've been treating Esther with chelation therapy, which means two injections a day. Right. So he's, you know, he carries her back and forth. He's just been amazing. So yeah, we're going to muddle through this episode and do our best. We're both dealing with a little bit of exhaustion, but not too tired to talk chickens. Never. Never, ever. So we'll all get through it together. And I'm just thankful that we're all vaccinated because... If we hadn't been vaccinated, we would have been much, much more ill than we are. So we're lucky. Yeah. We are very lucky. We're on the mend. Next week's episode, we'll be sitting at the table together. That will be good. But yeah, we still have some great information to bring to you, a great show for today. So I'm actually just going to go into and ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for our show and it means the world to us. It really does help us grow the podcast. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our Etsy shop. You can check out the t-shirts we have on sale there. You can also visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. You can check out our levels of membership, including a free bonus episode each month. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can get all the same great treats and feed with a fresh new look. Check out their new website. You can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, Coffee20, for 20% off your first purchase. Follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. 
Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and the chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so soft and so cute. In the December box, I absolutely love the delicious smelling nesting box herbs and the adorable egg stamp. My favorite was the chicken coop charm bracelet. It was so adorable. And that chick soap. Oh, it's so cute. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so now it's time for the <coughs> Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yes, the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if we can't cry, we're going to make a joke out of it, man. Well, if we weren't laughing, we would be crying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The Breed Spotlight this week is the Breda. It is the Breda. This is a listener request, and this is Ashley, who direct messaged us via Instagram who really wanted us to bring the Breda into the Breed Spotlight. So, Ashley, this one's for you. Holly did a, a lot of research on the Breda, so we're going to bring you some really good information. It's an interesting breed. There's not tons and tons of written history on the breed. Let's just start out by saying that the breed itself is a very large breed. So this is a chicken that you're going to need lots of room to have in your flock. They're a large breed. I found them very handsome. They're feather-footed chickens. You know, we love the feather-footed chickens. And they have a crest. It's a tiny crest. And the interesting thing about them is the tiny crest sits behind where a comb would usually be on your chicken. But this right. breed does not have a comb. Exactly. So they're the only breed that does not have a comb. They look like they're from our 80s band. Like they could rock out with an 80s band for sure. Their little spiky tuft of hair. Their spike little crest. And that's one thing that makes them unique. And they are very large and they're very tall. So when we say large, large and tall in birds and chickens is different because right, right. the legs can be somewhat short and they could still be a large bird, but they have some long legs. So they're definitely a taller bird. Yeah, the roosters definitely have a height advantage on the hands. We'll link to a couple of pages where you can take a look at them so you can see what they look like. So the Breda is commonly thought to have originated in the Netherlands. Yes. Specifically in the town of Breda in the Gilders region. And they're known by a bunch of different names. This is one of the things that makes them difficult to track down. Now they're called the Breda. They used to be called the Gilder, the Gilderland, and the Kraykop. Right. It literally translates to crow's head because people felt like without the comb, the way their beak and their head looks in profile, they felt it looked like a crow's head. You kind of have to agree, but they do yeah. have large waddles. Crows don't have waddles, but the combs are very important in chickens. So not to have right. one is a strange circumstance. And making it even more difficult to track down information on this bird, there's also another Dutch breed with a similar name. So there's the Krankapa, which is very close to the Krakop, but they're two different breeds. They're very different birds. We're just going to stick with Breda, which is what they're known by in the modern world. And they're definitely an older breed. They are a few hundred years old. At least. The Dutch Poultry Association notes that they are several hundred years old. There doesn't seem to be a lot of written evidence either way, but in 1660, a Dutch artist named Jan Steen painted a piece called The Poultry Yard. It's actually a lovely painting. It very clearly shows a bird that looks almost identical to the Breda. So if you use that as documentation, you can say that they were in existence from at least the 17th century. It's a long time. It is, yeah. And as we said, these are extremely unique looking chickens. They stand tall, they have feathered legs and feet, and then they have white earlobes. They remind which, me of a tall cochin. Tall, skinny cochin, kind of. I mean, yeah. on the yeah. extra fluff, yeah. So they have the white earlobes, they have that tiny, small, tufted crest that sits above where their comb would be. Instead of a comb, they have a mostly flat space of red skin. They come in black, blue, 
white splash and cuckoo. The splash is really cute. And I like the splash. They're all very pretty. So the foundation breeds for the Breda are unknown. Some poultry historians believe that the French Malines are a possible foundation breed. And they're a cuckoo breed that does have feathered legs. So that would make sense. The Breda also has the wide cavernous nostrils that are found in some of the crested breeds like the Polish and the Crevcore. They could be possible foundation breeds as well. They are generally really hard to find in the U.S. at this point. I mean, almost next to not being able to find. There's just a few farms. Right. They were once common here, generally known in the U.S. as Gilderlands, and they were popular layers and dual-purpose birds. They started to fall out of use after the Civil War, at about the same time that the Asiatics were becoming extremely popular with hen fever, dramas, etc., I did some digging just to see if I could find them in any old documentation. And I did find the Breda mentioned in 1924. It was listed as a Gilderland fowl, and I found it in the Reliable Poultry Journal, volume 31. It was mentioned in a section that had breeders and listed all of the breeds that each breeder offered. So I read in a couple of places that apparently the Breda hung on a little while longer into the 20th century as a showbird but it had all but disappeared by World War II. We do know that at some point, Greenfire Farm did import some of the Breda and start breeding them. And the few farms in the U.S. that do still offer them probably are working with stock from Greenfire Farm. Yeah, our friends in Canada can actually get them a little bit easier. It's a small hatchery, but there's a hatchery called DP Poultry that specializes in very rare chickens. They do have a flock of Breda that they sell from. In the U.S. and the U.K., if you do a Google search, you can find a handful of breeders. With a bird like this, it can be tough to breed without a standard. And the Breda never made it into the American Poultry Association standard of perfection. But the British Poultry Club and the Poultry Club of the Netherlands both have standards for the Breda that you can use if you right. Start breeding them to a standard. Right. Clearly, Ashley is interested in the Breda, and I'm sure there's more people out there that are interested in this chicken. And once you take a look at this interesting little chicken, because the, the hens are smaller, they're more normal size. The it's hens the, are substantially smaller than the roosters. Yeah, they are. It's the boys who stand taller and remind me of uh, a skinny cochin, a melee. They have the legs of the melee, they're tall. <laughs> Where does this chicken fit in to the backyard chicken farmer if you have it and you're in the Netherlands, if you're in Canada, or if you're one of those few lucky people in the U.S. that can get your hands on this chicken? Well, first of all, it's an amazing show chicken. And just another note, when we were talking about the APA, I didn't mention then that there is a bantam version of the Breda. And at one point, it was in the American Bantam Association Standard of Perfection. It's now marked inactive. Okay. Now it has this background as a show chicken. And it is a beautiful chicken, so I could see that. They're also dual-purpose burrs. So they are respectable layers. Let's just say they have white earlobes. We know that they're going to give us a white egg. Right. And then how many eggs are they going to be laying per year? 180 to maybe 200 a year. So a respectable layer, but not a really good layer. They're in my average category. Right. Anything under 200, I put as below average for egg layers. You know, the other thing that I was finding when I was looking them up is they're a good bird for children, for families, for 4-H. Because they were show birds, they actually are known to be quite docile and friendly with kids. They're known to be a very, very gentle breed. In fact, I've read in various places where breeders have said, if you have a mixed flock, you do not want to put these birds in with a more aggressive breed because they'll be at the bottom of the pecking order. They're very gentle birds. That really does put them right in the show category and in the backyard category too. The other thing that we need to mention is they're pretty cold hardy. One main reason. They don't have the comb. Yeah. I mean, they can still get frostbite on their skin. And if you notice, the roosters still have an impressive set of waddles on them. Oh, yeah. they can still get some frostbite on their waddles. But the lack of the comb and the fact that they have feathered legs and feet gives them a lot of protection. 
Just like the Brahmas and the Cochins, though, you want to keep an eye on those feet. You want to make sure they don't get wet and form ice in the feathers because they can get frostbite that way. But if you're in a cold climate with, say, not a ton of precipitation, they'd be ideal. Yeah, they would be great. The other good thing about these birds is they're bigger. They have the feathers. So if you keep the feathers free of snow and ice, it can help warm them. The other thing is they have a little bit of different anatomy, which is pretty cool. Their beak is more shaped like the beak of a vulture, it said, versus a chicken beak. Right. Or a crow or a raven even. Remember, they have the Dutch name for crow head. And you're right. Right. The shape of that beak probably contributes to people saying that they have a crow head. I mean, I really think they're charming birds in their own way. I quite like them. Yeah, they're very interesting. The problem is here in the U.S., you have to have a gold star basically to be able to get your hands on one. But for our listeners in the Netherlands, the Canadians, you can definitely get your hands on this bird. And it's very unique and it's really a cool bird. And it definitely needs conservation help. It's rare here. It's rare in the UK. It's rare in Canada. It's rare in Australia. It's rare through the rest of Europe, France, the Netherlands. It really does need some conservation help. We found a couple breeders in Canada, a couple breeders in the U.S. One of them's in New Jersey. So for our Mid-Atlantic and East Coast listeners, if you are interested in them, we'll link to that breeder in the show notes. Really, if you're anywhere in the U.S. and you're willing to drive, that would be a really good source for them. We had a comment on one of our Instagram posts, someone who wanted to maybe introduce a white egg layer to their flock, but they didn't want a leghorn because they fly a lot. So this might be one if you can get your hands on it. They're going to lay white eggs. They're not as good layer as a leghorn, but they're not going to fly as much. That's for sure. The other possibility for that listener would be a Polish. Or white-faced black Spanish even, too. Any of the Mediterraneans or continentals. I said the Polish because with that crest, I don't think they do a lot of flying. Exactly. Absolutely right. Of course, the Breda would fit that bill as well. As long as you have a docile flock. This bird is so calm and so docile that they almost need to come into a flock of favorals. <laughs> I was going to suggest favorals, cochins, brahmas, all the gentle girls, right? They don't want to be in with some morans, that's for sure. <laughs> no, probably not Swedish flowers either. Drusilla and uh, Anastasia would be like, come on in. I have something for you. The other thing we did find is for our listeners in the Netherlands, there is actually a club. Right. It's the Dutch BKU Club. If you are interested in the Dutch standard, you want to visit the website for the BKU Club. That's the club in the Netherlands, and we will link to that in the show notes. Yes, we will. So check out this chicken. It's a cool chicken. Let us know what you think. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so now we're going to move on to... Oh, la, 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 main topic, yeah. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. I'm feeling a little more energetic for a minute. Just the coffee. Are we COVID with the chicken ladies now? Okay. Just for one week, we're suffering from it, so Just yeah. Just this week, right? So our main topic is something that we've both had some experience with. It is a keel blister slash keel blister abscess. This is something that, since we both have dealt with it, We feel that it's very important to get out there as soon as we can, because it's a problem that everyone out there could have with their chickens. You could go out there and you have it. You tend to see mentions of this when people are talking about or writing about commercial poultry or industrial poultry. Exactly. Especially broilers that have been bred where they're so heavy they can't hold their own weight up anymore. So it tends to show up there. But it's starting to show up more in backyard chickens, especially the heavyweight breeds, which both of us tend to love. Yeah. The big thing that we want to talk about is the keel blister is in itself a problem. But when you have backyard chickens, the keel blister leads to yet another problem. It's a symptom of a greater problem. Let's just start off by explaining the anatomy. 
The keel bone is the bone that protrudes out from the breast muscles. Right. You can feel it when you pick up your chickens. So when you pick up your chicken and you feel the bone in the center of their chest, in either side, you feel the muscles. That bone is the keel bone. That's right. That bone, sometimes in chickens that are a little heavier, you don't feel it as much. It's a good standard that if your chicken is a little underweight, you will feel it too much. Right. It's very stark when your chicken is underweight. The keel bone is the place that the chicken's wing muscles attach to in his or her body. And according to Poultry DVM, the keel bone is a spot that is often injured by chickens in backyard flocks. I did not know this. Did you know this? I now know it. I'm going to link to this. Poultry DVM has two really good information sheets. The first is on the keel bone itself, an injury to the keel bone itself. And the second is about keel blisters. Okay. So apparently the bone itself can be injured frequently. It's, again, one of those things that's underreported. And here's the thing you have to understand with this. The keel bone is more out to be injured in a chicken that its anatomy has it protruded more, for lack of a better way of saying Right. The way the anatomy of every single chicken is, it's slightly different, just as in people. Sometimes that keel bone, you won't be able to feel it at all. And sometimes when you pick up a chicken, your hand will go right on either side of it and you can feel it. So if you have a chicken that you can feel that bone, that is a greater risk to have injury to the bone itself and to create an abscess. Right. So the keel blister, which is also sometimes called a breast blister, a keel cyst, or even sternal bursitis, occurs on the skin that's over top of the keel bone. And it's a potential trouble spot because if you think about it, it comes in contact with the ground a lot and it's often a spot with sparse feathering and not a lot of protection. So what happens is when you have a chicken who doesn't want to walk a lot and who has the anatomy where this bone is protruding a little bit more and this chicken lays down a lot, this can create a problem because it's going to wear away the feathers right where that area is and say they get a nick from a piece of mulch or a log they're sitting on, and then they lay in dirt and that bacteria goes right into it. That is an area that doesn't have a ton of feathering to begin with. No. And then when they're molting, a lot of times they're almost naked. So the keel injuries, they can start out as reddened skin, you know, inflammation or abrasion over that keel bone. It can progress from there to a fluid-filled blister that sits over top of the bone and it's really sore and uncomfortable for your chicken. Yeah. But we're going to take it one step further and we're going to talk about what happens. That blister has progressed to an abscess. Right. So there has to be a little breach in the skin, whether they're micro abrasions, that's basically how it starts. It gives a place for bacteria to overgrow and create a pocket. And when you have a pocket that fills with infection, that is called an abscess. Right. That is a problem. Once again, we can't say it enough that is the mask of another problem. Right. Essentially, as you said before, in backyard flocks, a keel blister or a keel abscess is a symptom of a bigger problem. So you have to look at why is your chicken laying around? Why is your chicken laying with their keel bone so much? What's going on with them that they're in a sternal position where they can have extra trauma to their keel bone? The first thing is treat the blister and treat the abscess itself. The first thing you can do before you even go to the vet is to clean the area. Here's something that I don't know if we've added this to our list of first aid, but it's always in ours. And I have it because Joe gets knee surgery. So we always have HypoCleanse. The HypoCleanse is basically chlorhexidine, which is used in the veterinary world to clean wounds, to prep for surgery. And it does a fantastic job of taking bacteria and unwanted things off of the skin. So to have that in your first aid kit, the first thing you can do before you go to the vets is to soak and scrub with a HypoCleanse to get that area clean. And then you want to see your veterinarian, which you did for Esther. Right. And Esther's story is a little different because I didn't even know the abscess was there. So Esther was lying around a lot. And at first, I just thought it was a really uncomfortable molt. I should say that Esther is my biggest Jersey giant hen. She's a very tall hen. She's a very large hen. So she was laying around a lot. I didn't think much of it. I thought it was the molt. 
But then I noticed she didn't stay on her feet for long. It started to look like her legs were weak. So we treated her for two or three days with polyvisol infant vitamins to bring right. her levels back up. In three days, I saw zero improvement. So we got her to Dr. Rebecca. Dr. Rebecca put Esther on her back and was testing the strength of her legs. And as she was palpating Esther's body right above the keel, she said, oh, what's this? And I said, isn't that fat? She said, no, this is not fat. And we felt it and it was clearly an abscess over the keel bone. There was no scab. You could just feel it, something under the skin. So long story short, that was a surgery. Dr. Rebecca was originally going to lance the abscess, but it was pretty bad. And she ended up actually just surgically removing the whole area, stitching it up and letting it heal naturally. So we know that this abscess was a symptom of something. What was it a symptom of? Why was she laying around? It wasn't just the mold. We did a blood panel. It came back with elevated muscle enzymes because clearly her leg muscles were weak and she was having trouble staying on her feet for any length of time. So we took her back to have her stitches out. She had finished her antibiotics. The abscess was gone, but the weakness in her legs remained. What we eventually did, Dr. Rebecca said, let's try what's essentially the last diagnostic we can run. Let's do a heavy metal panel and see if there's a lead problem. And that's well, the test that you always pray is negative for everything. You're like, to be per- please don't let this be my answer. Please. To be perfectly honest with you, I thought that those tests would come back negative. I thought it was a last ditch effort and there would be nothing. It turns out that Esther has zinc poisoning. Right. Which one of the main symptoms is muscle weakness. And that was the reason why she was laying down so much on that breastbone or the keel bone. And then they get microabrasions. Can't say it enough. You're not going to notice it at first. Right. Bacteria enters and causes the abscess. So my story with keel blister basically had not a great ending, but the keel blister was a symptom of a larger problem. And my beloved Iris, I just lost her last week, which really makes me sad to even think about or talk about. But I think it's important that everyone knows to look for these things at this point, because it's something that even after years and years of us doing it, unless you come across it, you're not going to know it. So Iris was always one of my sweetest Orpingtons, always. And she has always had a little underlying issue with something. She was always a little slower than everybody else. She would eat, drink, lay eggs, be happy, but she was always a little something, you know, off. She always was picked on by everybody and she liked to lay around on a log all the time. So during the summer, I pick her up like I do every day and I'm like, what is this on her chest? And hers was different because hers had ruptured. Did you feel the scab first? I felt the scab. I felt her chest. She's shaped differently, she was, than all of the other Orpingtons. Her keel bone was very protrude and she was of good weight. She was healthy. She just liked to lay on a log a lot. Iris was sort of a special needs chicken. And I think it was because of confirmation and physical issues, the occasional neurological problems. She may have had a head injury. Right. So you had the same thing, the laying around and the abscess developing, but for different reasons. For different reasons. So basically what happened is I felt the scab and I was able to bring her in and clean her all up with the chlorhexidine, scrub it out, flush it out and pack it with silver ointment and able to get it to heal up. Right. So I just did that multiple days in a row and the skin grew back in. It regranulated from inside out, which that's the way you want. At that point, she did not need a vet visit. She did fine for a few weeks and she's always been eating, drinking, living her life. I felt it back again. It was much smaller. So I did the same thing, brought her back in and she never went back out. So she was Gertie's friend and lived with Gertie. And then basically a week before Christmas, she started having reproductive problems with laying eggs. So she had underlying reproductive issues which probably caused her to feel a little bit off and lay down a little bit more. And she unfortunately passed away on New Year's Eve. And it was so sad. I don't even like to talk about it. It makes me so upset. But it's just something that these things are a sign of something bigger. Right. And she was being treated for her reproductive problems on antibiotics, on pain medicine. 
but it just was too much for her little body to handle. So she passed away. But these things, there's so much a look into the future for us of a bigger problem. And that's why we wanted to come on here and do this. Ricardo Montalban was my Jersey giant rooster who again weighed 15 pounds. He would occasionally have a sore spot where his keel bone was because he was so big when he laid on the perch. And right. He got irritated. It never progressed into a blister. It would just get a bit red and inflamed that I could usually clean it off and put some ointment on it and it would heal. So I think it is more common in big birds just because of their anatomy. But as you said, it's almost always a symptom of a bigger problem. If you've gotten to the blister stage or worse yet, the abscess stage, you've got to deal with that and then figure out what's causing it. Exactly. So the other thing is, and a lot of these happen at exactly the time when you noticed and exactly the time when I noticed is during a molt because the little feathers that they do have around the breastbone are gone. Right. So it leaves that skin unprotected to get microabrasions. All it takes is something that your eye cannot even see for bacteria to get into that skin. So it happens a lot during molting. Now, you don't want to handle the birds a lot during molting because they're so painful, but you do have to watch them. And that's why when I picked her up off the log, the first time I found it, there was nothing going on. Like she had always been eating. She was laying eggs. I had just picked her up to give her a hug, basically, and I felt it. So doing those little checks here and there during a molt, you have to. Yeah, you want to minimize contact as much as you can because the pin feathers, as we've said before, engorge with blood. They can be very painful. But you do still need to do a quick wellness check here and there, especially on a bird that you notice is laying around a lot. Right. So if you see that, the first thing is to clean and treat. You can always use silver ointment at home until you can get to the vet. And then go to the vet and then figure out what's going on. Don't eat your lunch right now with what I'm about to tell you. These particular abscesses are gross. What is in them is really hard to clean. It's really gross. It's really nasty. So if you can at all avoid it, I would not want to lance this yourself because I feel like you would have a toxic mess. Never lance. The reason the first time that I could do it at home was because it had already ruptured. Right. You were dealing with scab. So basically to soak, to take that scab off, then clean the area with the HybaCleanse and do that daily with the silver ointment, which we know works is a really good ointment that works with Bumblefoot and other things. And that healed it very well and very quickly for me. It also wasn't as big as Esther's. Right. Esther's was very large. I want to say that it was more than two inches long and maybe an inch and a half across. And it was such a mess. That's why Dr. Rebecca just removed the whole thing. And Esther healed from it very quickly. Sometimes the infection that is inside the abscess for chickens, for whatever reason, isn't always a liquid. It can sometimes be a harder bacteria plug. And it's very difficult to get it out. So it's a good reason let the doctor surgically remove it. And also, when she went, she was then tested for every other thing she showed the muscle atrophy part of it. And that was the zinc. Right. And as we said in the beginning, she's receiving chelation therapy. So that's two injections a day, 12 hours apart for five days. We're just about finished. And she really is doing very, very well. Right. But essentially the keel blister led us to the diagnosis of the zinc poisoning, which is a very serious problem. We're trying to figure out where the zinc came from at this point. And that's going to be a whole different show. Yeah. When you get this problem of the keel blister, you can fix this, especially if you go to the veterinarian, you get medicine, but they have to figure out what is causing them to lay down to create this blister. So that's your first step. A vet can also culture it for you. Because Dr. Rebecca just surgically removed the whole thing, we didn't bother with the culture. But if you're just dealing with an open abscess like Iris had, Your vet can culture that and that can tell you what antibiotics the bacteria are sensitive to. Yeah. And for our case, both times she had it, it healed up. So she lived for months with Gertie, not with the other girls. So she had a very easygoing life for the last few months. And she was our second special needs girl. And in those few months, I grew so fond of her and she had such a wonderful personality about her. And 
I miss her. Gertie misses her. It just happened last week. So it's still kind of raw for me. But those things happen. And she, for whatever reason, developed a problem with egg laying and a reproductive problem. So that was the precursor was the keel blister each time that she was laying down a little bit more. So it was a sign of something bigger. Right. I lost Madeline in early December. We suspect that it was a complication from possible zinc poisoning as well. And in her case, there was not a keel blister to alert me to what was going on. Right. Esther was lucky. This is one time we'll say this may be a lucky finding for you. First, you have to fix it, but then you have to investigate further and figure out, is there something else going on? And nine times out of 10, yes, there's going to be something else going on. Figure it out and go from there. One of the things that I think helped them while they were healing was very clean and very soft bedding. Yes. So we had them on white towels. We had them on very thick, clean layers of wood shavings. It's also worthwhile to check your roosts for any rough and dirty spots. If your chicken did get an abrasion on her keel when she was outside and she comes in and lays on a dirty roost, just like with Bumblefoot, that's a good opportunity for bacteria to invade whatever trauma she has over her keel bone. Yeah. So the one thing I do is the roosts are covered with contact paper. Right. It makes it very easy to take a cloth and I use a vinegar mixture to clean and keep those roosts clean because that keel bone is going to sit on there for eight to 12 hours at night, keep them clean so that they're not getting any bacteria. So that's something you can do to prevent it from happening. And you know what? You could just get a keel blister because your chicken's kind of a lazy chicken and likes to lay around or you have a bacterial problem on your roost and those aren't leading to other problems. But what we're saying is be aware of it and know what it is. So that's why we want to get the word out quickly on this one. So as soon as we learn, we want to teach you guys, this is what you got to do. Yeah. It's one of those things that you can have in the back of your mind where if you have a chicken that's not acting right and you give them a checkup, feel along the keel and make sure there's no trauma there. There's no blister. There's no abscess. There's no scabbing. Yeah. Right. It's a tribute to all of our chickens. And you know what? We're just like everybody else. Things happen to us and it's sad. It's terrible. It breaks your heart when you lose a chicken. It's like losing a piece of your heart when you lose your chicken. But we want to give everybody the heads up to look for this and to know what to look for. Exactly. So there you are, Keel Blister. I'll have links to the information sheets on Poultry DVM. And as always, if you have any questions, you can message us. If you need help finding a veterinarian, message us and we will do our best for you. Okay, so now it's about that time that we move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. So this is something that we all need right now because feeling not so great. Right. You kind of want comfort food, right? Yeah, this one is a sausage and apple pot pie. Oh, yeah. And it's really good. And I was probably starting to get sick as I was working on the recipe development. So this became the lazy woman's version of sausage and apple pot pie. So I tweaked a few things and I made some easy substitutions. So there's really great winter dishes for January or February. You can make everything in this recipe from scratch, but I didn't feel like it. So you do from scratch or you use a mix for this. You only need one or two eggs, depending on your mix. This is a veggie base with sausage. I used vegan impossible sausage because... And I use turkey sausage. Yeah. Turkey sausage. You want to do this in either a really big oven proof skillet or a Dutch oven. Right. You can take it off the stovetop and put it right in the oven. So you start off by sauteing some onion. When the onion starts to get soft, you're going to add your sausage. And I just used a bulk roll of vegan sausage, but you can use links that you cut up, whatever. You're going to cook them until they start to brown and they're releasing some fat. You can scoop them out. Then you throw the rest of your veggies in the skillet to cook. So you could do classic mixed veggies with corn, carrots, and green beans and stuff like that. I was going to say the classic carrot, onion, and celery. You could go the route you just took. What I ended up doing, because again, I was not going to go to the supermarket, I had to use what was here. So I had some slightly shriveled apples, which cooked just fine. And I had onions and sweet potatoes and broccoli. 
So I sauteed the onions, I got the sausage in there, I got those out, I threw the diced sweet potatoes and the broccoli in there, I cooked them until they were slightly soft, added the chopped apple, stirred it all a bit, and you do all of that in the sausage fat. And even right. with the vegan sausage, they extrude a nice fat. So here's where the easy part comes out. We throw all the filling into the Dutch oven, and then if you wanted to do this the fancy way, you would make your own homemade biscuit or cobbler or cornbread mix. Or you could use Bisquick. <laughs> you absolutely can use Bisquick, and it works well. What I did was use a gluten-free cornbread mix. It works just fine. Mix it up, throw it on the top, in the oven, and you have a really delicious dinner that did not take you that long to prepare. One pot, and honestly, if you're not feeling good, it's an easy one because you can make some shortcuts on this. Like if you're at home and you're sick and you can't get fresh, totally everything, deal with what you have at home right. and make something yummy. What's really good is now the turkey sausage comes in like the crumble, like the tube that you're talking about, which is awesome. So I just cook that at the veggies and, you know, I'm not the gluten-free and the vegetarian version. I'm the turkey sausage veggies and the Bisquick version. The Bisquick is just as delicious on top of it as a cobbler crust from scratch would be. If you don't even feel like doing cornbread or biscuit top, you can even throw leftover mashed potatoes on top of this. It worked. My mom used to do a casserole that I loved that was kind of like that with ground meat, peas, and like this brown gravy. And then all on the top were mashed potatoes. And then she would brown it. That's a classic shepherd's pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. You could do the same thing. And hey, if you don't have the potatoes and you do have instant mashed potatoes, use them. Yeah. What I really liked about this is the sausage and the apples together because you know how I feel about apples. <laughs> <laughs> These apples just get you fired up they about do. this recipe. I, I love my apples. So the sausage and the apple, and in my case, I did the sweet potato and the broccoli. So what apple did you use? I had some stamen wine sap that were left over from Christmas baking. Okay. Right like now, said, we just have organic honey crisp. So that's what's going to be in ours. Any kind works. It doesn't really matter that much. This isn't a super complex recipe. You know, you don't have to go crazy and run out and get the best cooking apple out there. The stamens are a little bit on the tart side. They went really well with the vegan sausage and the cornbread. It was perfect. Again, my mix only used one egg. How many did yours use? One. So there it is. Sausage, apple, pot pie, or whatever you want to make it. This recipe is really good. Joe couldn't taste it because Joe has no taste or smell. I actually do have taste and smell, so it's good. I never lost my taste or smell either, thank goodness. He likes crunchy. So I've been giving him stuff that's crunchy and the coffee that I don't like the taste of, I'm giving him that in the morning <laughs> <laughs> until he can tell me he can taste it. He'll never know the difference. Yeah, this is definitely COVID with the chicken ladies. Good times. We managed to stay safe for all this time. Exposure to one single family member who really inadvertently brought it in and bingo, we all went down. I am so incredibly grateful that we're all vaccinated and we're all getting healthier as we go. The other good thing about it is that we've already decided on our spring chickens. When you don't feel like moving off a chair and you talk to your best friend for 12 hours of the day, that's what you end up talking about. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so for retail therapy, the company is called Green Goo, and we don't know if everybody else has heard of it, but it's amazing. It's good stuff. So Green Goo is a all-natural salve, and they have salves for humans, for animals other than poultry, and poultry, which is amazing. I had heard of the salve. A lot of people keep the salve on hand in their first aid kit. What surprised me is that that's not their only product for poultry. I have been using it for years, actually. It's always in our first aid kit. I use it for winter combs. If there's a scratch on a comb or waddles, if somebody pecks somebody else for skin issues, all those different things. 
It's such an amazing thing. This company, it's woman-owned and woman-started. Love it. This company started with a mother and two daughters. One of the daughters is an herbalist. She's also a permaculturist and a midwife. So how the story goes is she grew herbs in her garden. Her husband made her a screen door where she then dried all the herbs. So as the herbs were drying on the screen door and the sun was hitting them, she would infuse them with essential oils, turning these into salves. When she would leave at night, she would go help deliver babies and she would give some to the moms. And it just started from there. And as they grew, everyone really began to love it. So they use essential oils. Now we've talked a lot about using natural things on our chickens because whatever we put on them, in them, anything we are going to be taking in also. Right. And these products are amazing. I really like the salve for, like you were saying, comb injuries or injuries around the face because it is all natural. There's nothing toxic in there that I have to worry about getting in my bird's mouth or something like that. Yeah. And it actually has a very herbal smell to it. Yeah. We've talked about that before. It is almost a repellent for for the other poultry. It's good. It is good in those different ways because when they have a cut and we know when a chicken comes out with any little bit of blood, the other chickens are going to be on. Yes. So cleaning the wound and then putting this on protects the skin. It creates a block on the skin, on the comb, on the waddles, wherever you're using it. It also puts off an herbal scent, which keeps the other chickens away from it. Does it also keep insects away? I've never noticed. Yes. And they do have a product for that. Oh, they have something extra as well. Okay. Yes. They have soaps. They have natural deodorant. They have just taken this line and blown it up. So they have tons and tons of stuff that they're now out with. Now, at first, they were just the green goo. They were just the goo at the salve itself. But now there's different things. Now, there's a product. It's sold out right now that we are so psyched about. And that is the poultry shampoo. Yes. What else would you wash your show birds with if you need to shampoo your poultry? It's 100% natural and it's $11.95. It's not expensive at all. Well, I think other people have the same idea as us because it's currently sold out. Exactly. It's sold out right now. You can't get your hands on it. But we've all been looking for this when we have the chickens who have poopy butts or something that something is 100% natural. It's going to clean, but not strip. And that's what this is. Right. I really was amazed when I saw it and I wanted to order it, but it was sold out. But like you said, poopy butt. We've had hens here and there that we have to bring in and stick in the deep sink and wash them up. And there's always a debate. What am I going to wash her with? Do I use a little bit of dish detergent? What do I use on her? Problem solved with green goo. Yeah. I'm going to read exactly what it says on the bottle itself. It's a wash as a gentle, all-natural, multi-purpose soap for every bird in your flock. Use it to wash feathers, legs, and eggs. And it's also great to wash water bowls, feeders, coops, and pens. That's perfect. It says caution on the back. Clean ducks still have foul mouths. <laughs> uh-huh. So this one is the poultry wash. It is definitely sold out. And it's good for poopy butts or feet or whatever you want to clean. And you want to have something that is made for poultry. If you look at the label closely, there are little chickens and ducks all over the label. I love it. Very cute. So they used to just have the one salve that was basically for poultry for like the cuts and everything else. But now they have one for respiratory problems. It's like having Vicks for your chickens. It's a natural version of Vicks. That's fantastic. So if you're unfortunate, your birds get sick with a respiratory infection. It helps with breathing. We want to give the same caveat that we give for VetRx. Both of those things help ease congestion and help your bird breathe more easily. They do not cure a respiratory infection. You need antibiotics from a veterinarian. Yeah, you want to go see the veterinarian, but this is something that can aid them in breathing. And it's 100% natural. It's eucalyptus oil. It's peppermint oil. It's all different kinds of all natural things that you can use. Right. There's even a note on the package that it can be used with scaly leg mites. Yes. There are some old timers who say that you can use Vicks for scaly leg mites. I would caution with both of these things that they could leave painful sensations for a bird. So I would take a tiny amount and mix it with Vaseline and then coat the legs with that if you're treating scaly leg mite. 
just to make sure you're not laying something up under those scales of your bird that's going to irritate them. Peppermint oil can be very caustic. Yeah. They have a lot of good products that are natural. That's what we're all looking for these days because what we put on our birds, what we feed our birds, essentially will come all back to us. So we want 100% natural. That's for sure. These are definitely products you can feel good about using. Gluten-free, not tested on animals, woman-owned, small business. They have a whole line for people, for other animals. There's even for other animals, the pain reliever, like an arthritis balm. Yes, which is so cool. If you have a dog that has arthritis and you want to find something to put on, they even say you can use these products yourself. They're safe for people. There's nothing in there that can hurt. But check out this website. Read the story. It's amazing. These two sisters and a mom, they started helping the one sister. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, what are we going to do? We're getting too big. And they all kind of pitched in. And now it's a 100% family-owned business. It's one of those American stories. Started out with herbs in your backyard and now you're green goo. It is a great story and it's a few more things that you can keep in your poultry care kit. So it's really good stuff. Yeah, that first aid kit for sure. And we have it linked in the show notes. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going out a little differently than what we usually do. We're going to do a hybrid. So next week, we're going to spotlight the really fascinating Golden Comet. Oh, they're so pretty. We have a great interview lined up. We're going to be interviewing Kelly, the woman behind Poultry DVM. You're going to want to hear this. Our recipe, we're doing everything crepes. Yay! And our retail therapy are the chicken pathogen posters that are currently being sold by Poultry DVM. We have a pair and they're amazing. We're so excited for this episode. It's going to be great. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.